listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these Zen-inspired talks given by Michael McAllister. So a very interesting shift begins to occur when we start looking very carefully and with total attention at the stories that we author. The stories that we author. Our egos or our small selves are constantly creating meaning out of this chaotic universe and they make that meaning by writing little scripts that they play out on what I call the stage of mind. So just a real super brief overview as to what this stage of mind is. Imagine that your mind is this open space on which the ego performs an incredibly compelling drama. The ego is an incredibly adept and skillful actor. It's also an amazing stage manager, director, writer, lighting designer, set designer, costumer. Everything that has to do with that production is a fabrication of ego that plays out on the stage of mind. So let's think of a quick example. The ego will, especially if it feels like it's under threat, which is actually its job, if it feels like it's under threat, it will pull a story or script out of the script pile and begin to deliver soliloquies that just absolutely make it want to weep. It believes it is so good. Okay? Who would be the best candidate for president? Aha, a story is written, and it's always evolving too, but it might be a very strongly held story. Might be one that's kind of loose, loosely held, but every single performance is done with the utmost conviction. It doesn't waste time on stage. Every single performance is as if its very existence depended on its ability to throw down convincing lines, to make those monologues just sing. I give the example of a presidential candidate, or which network is the most evil, or which, which uh, a particular organization or group of organizations is doing the most damage to the planet. These are all really good stories because they have charge to them. Egos will jump at these real quickly. Aha! I know the answer to that, and that's a story. Stories can be much more subtle, or scripts, I'll use those two terms interchangeably. Scripts and stories can be more subtle than something as obvious as a a political conviction or view. It also might be, what is my role? Whatever answer you might give to that is a story that's been authored. What is my role? I am a son. I'm a father, 
I'm a husband. I'm a, you get the idea. That's just, those are my stories. I'm a teacher. All stories. Are they true? Partially, yeah. But there's more. There's more to the story. Is it true that your belief, that your story about who would be the best presidential candidate is true? For you, yeah, it is absolutely true. But there's more to that story. Is there a right way and a wrong way to apprehend awakening? Yeah, but that's just a story. Getting to what's prior to the story is this work. We get to that space by looking very, very carefully at the stage play, by watching our small self act. We can start with really obvious stuff first, but when we see our ego or small self, either term will work, when we see our ego or small self jump around on stage and we can create that distance to where we can actually watch the ego, a miracle has just happened. And that miracle is that that which is watching the ego do its thing is not the ego. It's something bigger. It's something more complete. When you meditate, simply watching your breath, <laughs> just watching your breath, or watching thoughts as they appear, that which is watching the breath, which is watching the thoughts as they appear, is not bound by either breath or thought. Neither breath nor thought can bind that awareness. You can experience this right now. As you're sitting right now and you're listening to the sound of my voice, you are aware of what I am saying. It might be totally confusing. You might actually be in a space where you're like, damn, I wish I had gone to the bathroom before he started, you know, whatever. But there's an awareness. That awareness is the same awareness that we employ as we sit still, that we employ as we watch this stage of mind, as we become audience members of this play. And the more we can relax in that space of being an audience, of being a seer, not the scene. In this case, I'm saying seer, S-E-E-R, and scene on a stage play, S-C-E-N-E. We are the seer of that scene, not the scene. That scene no longer catches us. It no longer hooks us. Um, I described it this way to somebody over the weekend, how usually the uh, play on the stage of mind is really sticky or it can catch us. And imagine like hooks, okay? 
hooks have barbs in them. For those of you who have ever fished, they have barbs. They, they, they grab, okay, and they kind of, they just, they stay, right? Ultimately, that's the way attachments work for us. Our egos cling. They create hooks, and, and those, those hooks pull, pull our awareness, or excuse me, our consciousness one way or another. Pull our actor on that stage one way or another. Okay? Well, what happens is, as we start to witness this going on, as we start watching the ego getting kicked around on the stage of mind by its own doing, those barbs that hold us, hold us down begin to straighten and they slip away. And the barbs of life can still get us, they can still poke us, but as long as that awakened presence, as long as we are the seer, not the seen, what happens is the seen gets stuck, but it doesn't stay permanently anymore. It doesn't keep making this wheel, this tangle of karma, it doesn't allow it to continue. So just simply watching the ego perform, watching the appearance of thoughts, helps us disidentify from those thoughts. We start recognizing the most miraculous thing, we are not our thoughts. We are not the feelings of our body. We are not our roles. We are not just our names. We are all those things and more. We are the stage play and more. The meaning of that stage play, its intensity, the damage it can cause is lessened substantially the more we actually back out and become that divine audience. Does this kind of make sense a little? We begin to just watch. We begin to watch the structures that we have made in our life that help to stabilize the onslaught of the universe's chaos. That's exactly ego's job, to stabilize the onslaught of chaos. And perhaps the most, I would say the easiest way for us to recognize this whole process in action is to watch our negativity. Watch your negativity. Every bit of your negativity is a story. And in the watching of the negativity, that which is watching the negativity as it arises is not caught by the negativity. That which can see it is not even touched by it. And if we can rest there and go, wow, negativity is appearing, okay? I'll make it really concrete. Man, I am so pissed off. How come that guy can't learn to drive? <laughs> That's ego. That's ego performing, giving its little silly stage play a bit of fire, okay? There's a massive difference, though, between 
I am so pissed off. Why can't that guy learn how to drive? And wow, anger is appearing in my body, in my mind. That which recognizes that is your true nature, is your true self, is the big self, the rich, open, unquantifiably vast awareness that we call Christ consciousness, we call Buddha mind. We have all sorts of fancy names we call it, but just know that you can use that little practice anywhere, anytime, any place. Watch your negativity. And instead of saying, I am angry, or I am sad, or I hurt, let it be something akin to, boy, sadness is really playing itself out right now. My emotions are really, are really going haywire right now. That's not caught. That's open. That's freedom. And that's exactly where this teaching takes us. It takes us to a liberation with a capital L that no longer allows for us to be hammered by our negativity. We're no longer kicked around by the circumstances of life. Rather than being in that storm, we allow ourselves, just through our raw, alert observation, to literally enter into the clear space at the center of that hurricane. It doesn't mean that the hurricane's not there, but it means we can respond to that hurricane from a place of quietude, from a place of wisdom, from a place of compassion. Wisdom and compassion have a really hard time manifesting in hurricanes. I mean, like a personal hurricane. There is countless examples of wisdom and compassion in the actual disaster of a hurricane. But when we're right in the middle, it becomes, it's, it, it becomes uh, when we're in the, in the throes of the, of the wind and the water and the storm itself, we have a very hard time doing anything except trying to survive. From the eye of the hurricane, clarity is there. I also heard it explained once as, at the core of a flame, there is space. At the microscopic, at the core of a flame, there is space. And from that core, that space, arises beautiful, dancing, light, and color. The diamond in your pocket reflects that flame. The person that you really are, the one beyond all the stories of who you think you are or what the ego pretends to throw at the world and call personality, the one prior to all that is that space, is that clarity, is that open, that loving, that kind, that compassionate, that wise. 
And it's always already here. You've never lost it. It's not something you can seek to find. It's already there. Just like stillness is always already here. Movement is born out of stillness and dies back into stillness. Stillness is always already there. Rest there. Explore that. Be that alert, witnessing present presence. That witnessing presence, that audience, that seer of the scene is not touched by any of what's going on. It's free of it. It's liberation. It is liberation. Negativity plays out in front of it just like glory. It doesn't care. It is beyond care. But it is still totally loving of all that arises. It doesn't deny anything that shows up, just like a mirror does not deny anything that it can reflect. It doesn't pick and choose. It's equal, absolutely equal and open, ready, alert to do what it does best, which is just be. It just is. And when we start orienting ourselves into that space, it's like the weight's taken off of our shoulders. We, we don't have to maintain the story anymore. We don't have to carry any of that baggage. We don't have to worry about forgetting our lines or making sure the lighting cue goes just perfectly. We don't have to worry about how can we best use this space so that it makes an impact on the audience. Forget it. Forget it. The entire charade becomes just that. It's seen for what it is. It's seen as just simply the activity of mind as a very partial truth. So what are we really? We are that audience. We are that awareness. As we get into that space, we then have a choice. And that choice is, do we follow the lead of what's being played out on the stage of mind? Or do we follow the sacred truth of what we have always been? Good luck. So you're talking about the dramas that the small self puts on. Some of that seems to come from current events and knowledge and, oh, I know all about that, and so mm -hmm. I would blah, blah, blah. At the same time, I take it that a lot of it's coming from uh, the subconscious basically from things that have happened that we've forgotten in our childhood or insecurities and all of that kind of thing. Um, and I guess they're intermingling somehow. Does that 
matter that all this stuff is coming in and participating in those dramas that we aren't can't even remember it doesn't matter in the slightest it doesn't matter in the slightest because we participate and watch or see the scene as as much with as much awareness as possible and the more we practice this the more we begin to recognize the overt the so the the middling and the extremely subtle and they're always revealing themselves in different capacities in different messes in different tangles as long as our alert presence is essentially exercised you know as long as we're constantly using it as best we can asking the question is this true is this really so is that we we really start looking at the truth of who and what we are and what our experience happens to be in any given moment all that stuff begins to diminish in its pull okay it no it can't it can't hook us like it used to it can't grab us nor do we grab it it just becomes something that plays out and we surrender it so even the deeply uh, submerged stuff will tend to dissolve in this process though. in this process it has to be recognized first though and this is a really important point one of the things that uh uh many of us have probably experienced is somebody you know a master that suddenly does something quite ridiculous they make really goofy mistakes it's a, a sexual abuse it's a financial impropriety it's a right and what they, what what we can watch happen again and again and again is that as people go into this space of this this witnessing awareness and they don't continually deal with shadow tendencies the stuff they have denied they have really pushed away if they don't let that also come out through constant presence it still holds. Freud talked about this. He said as long as it's a mystery, it's going to keep, you know, kind of pulling you, right? When it's no longer a mystery, then it begins to kind of unpack itself and fall away. So, and this is not to say that we're doing Freudian work in this room, but just that it's 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 very much about undoing the mystery that previously we we have not been able to see. Now we're able to see it. And for any of us standing in the light, a shadow is cast. make sure you deal with what's in that shadow as well and we do that the same way we deal with everything else that goes on to the stage we become we become aware of the dark side of our own moon that's that's showing there and in that process it no longer it, it just doesn't have the relevance and the import that it used to it becomes more and more and more and more trivial and i was thinking about i was doing that when i was meditating at the retreat and i was thinking god i'm cranky a lot you know cranky watching it i'm just kind of cranky a lot mm-hmm. and then i started thinking about well why what is why am i cranky and i and then it started to be like the shadow it was like well i'm jealous i'm envious i'm i'm 
greedy. I'm, you know, all these things started coming up but that I started observing about myself that I kind of don't usually look at. It's like, oh, right. I'm just great, you know, or whatever. I'm fine. You know, I'm fine. They're screwed. They're, yeah, right. I don't yeah. like you. You're an ass, you know. Yeah. And I started right. thinking, wow. You know, but it was kind of like just acknowledging a lot of kind of shadowy feelings that I've worked on in other places, but they were... But if you look at why you're pissed off and mm -hmm. cranky and stuff, which seems, when I don't know about other people, but I was kind of amazed that I was cranky as much as I am, because I don't think I'd acknowledge that I was so cranky. Right. <laughs> anyway, that's my observation. Can, can, um, I don't know if that was a question, but but the yeah, it probably wasn't. The, that's the there's a way out of that crankiness. Okay, well, how and do you get out of it? Okay, so how to get out of that crankiness? That crankiness is resistance, and that resistance is ego. Okay, watching the resistance, not figuring out why I'm resisting, because then it's ego trying to enlighten itself. It's, it's fine. I mean, that's what w works very well, actually, in therapeutic work. I mean, it, what it does is it helps clarify the dimension and scope of ego. Mm -hmm. But in this work, we go in a different direction. We back out of that entire experience. And instead of saying, God, why am I so pissed off? We get to what's prior to the I, the source of the I that feels pissed. Okay? And the way we do that is by watching the stage play, watching the behavior, and calling attention to it within our experience in an entirely new way, which is, wow, there's an amazing amount of tumult going on in my experience right now. And being right there for it, what does it feel like? Not what do you think about it. That's where the ego comes in. But actually having a sense experience of that negativity and not flinching, just staying right there, being quiet, sitting still, and just, just watching. And in that process, over and over and over again, that whole, hmm, I wonder why, becomes absolutely, it, it, the question. Yeah, I think I didn't mean I wonder why. It was just part of observing. Oh, okay. Like, so it wasn't quite I wonder why, but. In the observation. In the observation, then. I started to notice that a lot of it was just stuff that was like jealousy yeah. and greed and stuff. I wasn't focusing on that. More okay, like okay. Going, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then you get, yeah, yeah that's marvelous. It was very helpful. It, actually, it's been very helpful. Good. Go team. <laughs> <laughs> I sure hope the Giants beat the Patriots. Yeah, and that would be really cool, actually, if the Giants beat the Patriots. That, too. That, too. Keep our priorities straight. Yeah. You mentioned Freud. I did. I brought him up. Sorry. Sorry. That's okay. And, um, I'm just wondering if you think that... Um, I mean, there's a lot of very deeply hidden trauma that could occur in a person's life very early on. Right. Um, and I know that as we continue on this path and in the practice, a lot of the things that you um, have experienced or done or whatever will come up. Mm -hmm. 
that you need to face and not flinch on. Mm-hmm. But there's stuff back there so old, so deep. Um, do you think that stuff's going to come up and you'll have to face it even though it's so deep you may not even know it's there? Well, let's hope. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> yeah, let's hope it does. Something let's let's hope it does. Let's hope it does, and that the the uh, that in you w- w- that there is that there is such a resolve, such a commitment, and such a relaxed effortlessness in your witnessing, your ability to witness your life, that when hopefully it does arise, you treat it just like you treat the person that gave you a no foam latte when you wanted a foam latte. <laughs> now, I, I'm, I, I, know, I know that sounds really flip, but I'm not trying to make light of anyone's historical pain. I want to be really clear on that. I am not trying to make light of it. But the ego uses that historical pain as a way of hanging on to its position as CEO of your consciousness. So until it is dealt with fully, frontally, it still owns you. Oh, yes, I know that. Uh-huh. But what? Big time. <laughs> but, but I'm talking about things that you may not even be aware of. Oh, they, 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 you're going to have such an amazing time if you keep this practice up. Stuff that comes up that you weren't aware of, it's like, oh my God, wow. And that's the reaction to it that's most helpful usually. Oh, wow. As opposed to, you know, however, the can, can, I don't know how you spell that, but still, (laughs) when that can show up, the, the, the teaching, teacher, and sangha are right there. They're right there. Hmm. And that's why I think it's so important. Community is so important. As long as it doesn't become something that hooks us, community is so important because every single awakened being has dealt with precisely the kind of pain you're talking about. Hmm. Every single... My my teacher used to say that all the time. All the Buddhas are practicing with you. And at first it was like, what kind of fundamentalist crap is that? Are they floating around and, you know, and he's like, no, 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 no. All the Buddhas are practicing with you. And the more I kind of started allowing that in, the more I recognized that awakening is not a process. It's not so much a process of your individual becoming awake. It's a a process of that which is already awake shining through you. And in order to bust through, it must literally bust through all of that stuff. And in this way, this is my own, this is, this is the editorial alert. Here's my editorial. I think Western psychoanalysis, Western work on the, with the therapist is so helpful in creating structure for an ego that allows it then to let go of itself. It allows us to deal with those dark and scary places that we've previously worked so hard to deny. It allows for healing, so to speak, to kind of begin to to regenerate all those things that had been cut off from us. And then this work that we're doing here, where we back out and watch that whole experience, allows for this completion to open it all up. 
And so, while I, uh, I, do, I would never, never, ever say that this work that we're doing here is complete and total in its scope and ability to heal people. That is not what this is about. This is about your ability to be aware of what is damaged and what is being healed. And that which is aware of all that has never, ever been touched. That in you which is aware, the seer, the witness, but big self, whatever you want to call it, couldn't care less about the damage that's in the file of the ego's backstage so that it can pull that out at any, any moment. It doesn't care. It doesn't care about it. But I'm talking about the damage that occurred when you were four. Yeah. That is so far back that, I mean, I suppose the ego may have a file, a dusty file back there somewhere. Uh But it's so deep that you don't even know it's there. Right. That's what I'm talking about. Right. Well, and when the... I mean, I fully agree. When the boundary of you, Paul, when the boundary of the you starts to shake and rattle... That stuff may or may not come up. And if it does, what do you do? You witness it with total relaxation. You don't let it catch you, and you don't let yourself run away from it. You just meet it. And in that process, that light of your consciousness dissolves that attachment. And then it just is what it is. I hate that cliche, but it is what it is. It no longer... It no longer carries any type of weight with it. It's not charged. Exactly. Even subconsciously. It's not, because it now it's conscious. It seems to me the deeper we get into this practice, um, that one of the things that naturally happens, plus you know, you know, if we make it happen, is the ego becomes a much smaller, you know, to use your analogy, much smaller you know, player in the stage, or the stage, you know, recedes back from the audience, and 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 what's happening on the stage becomes of less significance. So it seems to me that you know, following up on Paul's you know, comments and questions, is that damage, you know, is to the ego. As the ego becomes a smaller player, it seems to me by by almost by definition, it becomes less of an issue. Whether we've dealt with it or not, it starts to become immaterial. I, I think that's a great way of putting it. Yeah, we, and rather than the stage moving away from us, what happens is the audience become. We move further back in the theater until the theater itself just becomes. It's there, sure, okay, but it's it it no longer it no longer can catch. Thank you so much for coming.